Good morning. <laughs> Good to uh, be with you and to worship God together. Uh, we're continuing to look at the book of Colossians, and we have, um, in this last chapter that we've been looking at, chapter 3, Paul has been kind of unpacking what it looks like to, to do everything in the name of Jesus, to how, what it looks like for, for the truth of the gospel to impact all of life. And most recently, what we looked at last week was how it specifically impacts certain roles that we play in the family, like wife and husband and child and parent. And, and now he moves into another aspect of, of kind of family life at, at that time, which was slavery, slaves and masters. And he addresses them specifically. And um, as, as you read this, it, it, it is troubling for a lot of us to, to read how he addresses slaves and masters, but he doesn't condemn slavery and he doesn't call it out as sinful. And, and uh, he just kind of addresses their roles and how they treat one another. And is this, does this mean that, that God thinks that slavery is okay, uh, uh, you know, what, what's the deal with that? And, and you know, it, it, is, it is a struggle, I'll be honest. It's, it's a struggle to, to figure out, you know, why doesn't he just really just call it out and just say, masters, set your slaves free. Um, and uh, it might be one of those things where all of us really will need God to just give us a little more clarity when, he, when we see him, when Jesus returns. But there are a few things that help me as I think about this. Um, one of those things being that... Uh, at, at the time, slavery, slavery was, was a part of the fabric of society. Like half of the people in society were slaves. Um, and the, the church at the time was really not, gonna, not, not in a position to have a real voice to make real changes to that. Um, but, uh, and, and Paul, a lot of what Paul is doing and the other New Testament writers were talking about, you know, this is what the gospel has to say to you in the midst of your circumstances right now, even though they may be unjust, even though you may be oppressed. This is how you need to be faithful and how you respond to that. Um, but another thing that, that I think is really helpful too is this, this letter to the Colossian church. It was delivered by two guys. And one of those guys that delivered this letter was actually a slave. Um, he was a slave who had, who had escaped, who had, had um, stolen from his uh, master and had escaped. His, name's, his name was Onesimus. And along with this letter to the Colossian church, he also was bringing a letter to his master from Paul. His master's name is Philemon. And that is another book that's found in the New Testament. You can read it. And in that letter, Paul says to Philemon, you need to, you need to treat him. You need to receive him back and treat him as a brother, not as a slave. And so there's that. There's also like plenty of principles throughout the Bible that, that speak to uh, the, the fact that, that slavery and, and, and owning another person and using another person is sinful. And, and a lot of the principles that are laid out throughout Scripture were, have been used to eradicate slavery um, in many places in the world throughout history. Um, so in light of all that, he, he addresses slaves and masters. And, and so another struggle for me is, okay, well, what does this have to say to me? <laughs> How does that apply to me? I think there are some general principles here that we can apply to any task that we have before us, any work that we do, okay? Um, so listen to God's word as I read from Colossians 3, verses 22 to chapter 4, verse 1. Bond servants or slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, 
knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would open up your word to us now, that you would help us to see what we need to see here, um, that you would confront us with your truth, that you would encourage us and strengthen us with your truth, that you would change us. And, uh, and more than anything, Father, we pray that you would show us Jesus here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I, uh, I was about 11 years old. I, I put my batting helmet on and I grabbed a bat because I was next up at bat for my baseball team. And I, w- I, was, I was heading out onto the field towards the play and I looked back up the sideline to where my coach was seeing, you know, standing to, to see if he had any signs or instructions for me. But as I looked over there, I also looked, kind of glanced where the, where the, you know, the parents and the people who were watching were sitting right there next to the field. And I noticed that there was a girl there. A girl who I knew who she was. I hadn't met her. She lived in my town. But just seeing that she was in the stands there or sitting there with a friend of hers at my game, I was like, excited. I, it, it basically, everything I did, I suddenly did differently because I knew she was watching. You know, I, I, I swung a little harder. I took a little more satisfaction when the ball hit the bat in a solid way. I ran a little faster. I slid with more aggression, you know. Even my high fives, I was trying to do, like, in, in the most cool way I possibly could. Everything I did, I was aware that she was there and she was watching. Um, you might find it kind of humorous to, to know that this was, a, it was actually Kim. I don't even know if Kim even knows this story. I didn't even ask her to tell her I was going to share this, but uh, she was there with a friend of hers. And this many years later, I am certain that she wasn't even watching the game <laughs> or even knew that I was playing. But just, just me knowing that she was possibly watching me transformed the way that I approached it completely. Um, What we are doing at any moment can be radically transformed when a certain someone is watching, Uh, whether it's somebody that we want to impress, somebody that we care about, somebody that that we we know cares about us, or, or somebody who we're afraid is going to be judging us or evaluating us, you know? It can transform how we approach that thing. As, as Paul addresses slaves, he encourages them to do their work, not for the eyes of their masters or anyone else, right? He says, don't do it by way of eye service. Don't do it because your masters are watching, but instead, do your work knowing that Jesus is watching. Do everything you do in your role as a slave knowing that Jesus is watching, knowing that you have an opportunity to serve him. Knowing that Jesus is watching should transform, radically transform how you approach everything, okay? So in in, in essence, the first point is this. When it comes to any work that we do, even though we're not slaves, um, I think we are encouraged to to recognize that, that everything that we do is an opportunity to do it for Jesus, It's about working for the Lord. Listen to what he says in verses 22, 23, and 24. He says, um, 
Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So do your work fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. In the end of verse 24, he says, you are serving the Lord. He's encouraging them to look at everything that they're doing. And instead of looking at it as as something that that they're just doing for their masters, to to recognize that it's an opportunity to to do for Jesus, the one who has set them free, the one who has given them security and peace, the one who has died for them, the one who loves them. Do it all for him. Doing everything for Jesus now transforms things. It transforms things. It transforms, first of all, how we do things, and it transforms the things themselves that we do. I would argue. So working the Lord, first of all, will transform how we do things. Doing it for the Lord enables us to do it sincerely from the heart and, and, and to do it heartily with, with you know, all of our effort. The reality was that the slaves were working for people, were working for masters who were sinful. They were working for masters who were possibly very cruel. Masters who... Uh, treated them as property, treated them as things who didn't care about them. And so it was probably very tempting for them to only work or only look like they're working when their masters were watching them, right? Um, or, or to maybe try to only work to, to get their master's attention, to impress their masters, maybe to be treated better. That's probably how they viewed a lot of what they did. We, we probably struggle with, with something similar. I mean, it, a lot of it has to do with our, the sinfulness of our own hearts. When, when somebody is not watching what we're doing in, in all sorts of different areas of our lives, we tend to not care as much. We tend to maybe not try as hard to not do our best. I remember when I was in college, I mean, when I was in, in high school and I played basketball, uh, we would have basketball practice. We'd be spread out all over the gym at different baskets. And, and you knew when your coach was watching him when he wasn't watching. When he wasn't watching, we'd be just be goofing off, you know, just tossing the ball up at the basket and talking and making jokes. And when they looked at us, when we looked in our direction, we immediately were like working hard. We were hustling. We were just lazy, right? Um, those of us, we, we all know what it's like when, when, when you go to school as a kid and, and you find out that your teacher's not coming. Their teachers are sick, and you have a substitute, and you don't have the eyes watching you that you usually do. It's an opportunity to get away with all sorts of stuff, right? We don't try as hard. We don't care as much. We focus more on what we want. Um, those of us who, who work in, in, in the workplace, and, you know, for, for a lot of us, it's, it's kind of this freeing feeling when, when your boss goes on a work trip or something, and they're not going to be around, and it's just that much more tempting to kind of slack off, um, to kind of do what I want to do, to take longer breaks, whatever. But here we are encouraged, as, as he encourages slaves, I think we are encouraged as well to recognize that everything that we do in every arena of life is an opportunity to remember that Jesus is watching and we can do it for him. It may be very tempting for us too, like to realize that, you know, one reason that we don't work as hard at things or don't care as much about things is because the, the people that we do these things for, we don't have respect for. You know, we don't, we don't feel like they care about us. And so it's easy to just kind of check out and not work as hard. But again, Jesus, the righteous one, the, he is, who is more worthy than Jesus? Who cares about us more than Jesus? 
that should move us to do things sincerely to the best of our ability, right? It should transform how we do, our, do everything that we do. But not only does working for the Lord transform how we do things, it, it actually can transform what we do, the things themselves. If you get a chance to do something that you love, but you, you're forced to do that thing for somebody that you don't like, that you don't respect, it, it, it can make that thing into a chore. It can make that thing sour. You know, I, I hear stories about professional sports players who, who get to play a game for a living, but they get onto a team that, that they, they really don't respect their coach and they don't like them at all. And, and, and the, the players that they play with are selfish and they don't like them. And, and, and they're playing a game for a living and, and yet they hate their life. <laughs> they can't do it with joy. But, and then on the flip side, if, if, if you're doing a, a chore, a menial chore for somebody that you really love and respect, that can actually change that chore into something, you know, an, an opportunity to, to experience, you know, to, to express love, it, it changes the nature of that thing itself. I, I'm not a big fan of poetry, but I read poetry from time to time. One of my favorite poets is a guy named George Herbert, Herbert and he wrote a poem called The Elixir. And the first stanza says this. It says, teach me, my God and King, in all things thee to see. And what I do in anything to do it as for thee. You know, he's, he's, it's a prayer to God. Teach me to look at everything that I do and see that it's an opportunity to do it for you. Not for anyone else. Not because anybody else is watching. Not to impress anybody else, but because you are watching. To do it for you. The last two stanzas say this. A servant with this clause makes drudgery divine. Who sweeps a room as for thy laws makes that and the action fine. So, so when, when, you, when you have this mindset, when you're sweeping a room, doing something, you know, just a menial chore for Jesus, it, it changes that action itself into something that is beautiful. The last stanza, this is the famous stone that turneth all to gold, for that which God doth touch and own cannot for less be told. As we shift our mindset to see all the things that we do, whether it's schoolwork, or chores at home, doing the laundry, uh, changing a baby's diaper, uh, doing work like, like working on a spreadsheet, sending an email. As we look at all those things as things that we can do for Jesus, to honor him, to love him, it transforms, those, it transforms that thing into gold, into something beautiful. The very action itself that, that we, we could really just do without becomes something, it's an opportunity to, to, to connect with Jesus, to love him and to honor him. So as we work for the Lord, it can change how we do things. It, it changes the things themselves. But in addition to doing everything for the Lord, I think this passage also helps us to, to focus on the fact that, that we, need to, we need to remember what will come from the Lord. Not just focus on, on doing things for him, but focus on doing things because of what comes from him. Verse 25 is a really sobering one. As he finishes addressing the slaves, he, there's this kind of bridge uh, verse right here between addressing the slaves and the masters. And he says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. In, in, in kind of a similar passage in the book of Ephesians, 
this idea, this sentiment is addressed primarily to the masters. You know, he says, be careful with how you treat the slaves because you're going to be repaid. You have a master in heaven. But here, it's, it's kind of ambiguous. It's, it's right after he talks to the slaves and before he talks to the masters. And, and I think he's actually talking to everybody here. He's, he's saying, be very careful. You are accountable for how you live. Even as a slave in a system that is an unjust you are accountable to think of the other person, to think of your master, and to not rob him, to not treat him poorly, even though you are a victim in many ways. And you're, you're accountable to Jesus for how you think of and treat your master. But then immediately he talks to the masters. He says, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. You need to think about how you are treating your servants, your slaves. I mean, what Paul tells the masters here is incredibly countercultural. To, to think about treating your slave with justice, with fairness. If, if a master were to do that and hang out with other people who own slaves, they would, they would, everybody else would really ridicule them for this. For thinking of and treating their slaves as something more than just a thing, more than property. He says, you, you're accountable to Jesus for how you treat the other people around you. And so we need to be careful. We need to be careful. We need to recognize that, that knowing that Jesus is watching us do all things, we are accountable to him. And, and, and he says, the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there's no partiality. He doesn't show favoritism. We're accountable for how we treat the people around us. Now, being aware that another person is watching and, and, that, and that we are accountable to them can be really stressful, can it? I mean, doing something where there, there's a temptation to, to worry about eye services is really hard. I imagine, when I was a kid, I remember, imagine, I remember being in class and sometimes the principal would come in and observe the teacher. I can't imagine what that's like for you teachers to, have, to, be, to be trying to teach kids and then have you know, your supervisor, your principal, come in with a clipboard and be evaluating everything you're doing. That's stressful, right? Or to, to be at work, you know, and you're giving a presentation, and your, your boss is there, and you know that they are evaluating everything that you're doing, whether it's a su success or a failure. It's stressful. Even, you know, when you invite somebody into your home, that, that used to happen. Remember, that when, remember, when, remember when that used to happen, when you used to have some people over, and, and you had to, like, clean your house? And as you're cleaning, you're like thinking, oh, I, I, you know that the people who come over, they're going to be looking. They're going to be evaluating how much dust is here and there. And it's stressful. Even as a, as a young student, you know, you're, you're constantly under the watchful eyes of other students, evaluating you, assessing you. It's stressful. How much more stressful is it to think about Jesus himself watching, evaluating Assessing whether we are doing wrong or not. And this is why it's, it's, it's crucial for us to, as we, as we read 25, verse 25, to remember to, to, to not miss what he said in verse 24. Because not only do we, what, what, what we have to expect is, is coming from, from Jesus is, is justice and judgment, but verse 24, he says, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. He's encouraging the slaves here is they're in the midst of this oppressive system that this isn't all there is. 
And Jesus is going to reward you. He, you have an inheritance because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you. This is really the, the, the beauty of the gospel, that even in the, the most difficult of circumstances, we have a God who promises to give us more than we can imagine, to give us a reward, to give us an inheritance. And that reward and that inheritance isn't dependent on how well we, we you know, stand up to the clipboard, how much wrongdoing we do. It's dependent on the fact that Jesus has done everything right Already in the book of Colossians, remember earlier when he said, God has qualified you to share in his inheritance. That because of Jesus' cross, we are forgiven for all of our sin. This is the essence of what it means to believe the gospel. To, to, to believe that even though we have failed and will fail, that God has promised to reward us. That's what faith is all about. It reminds me of Hebrews 11.6. Hebrews 11.6, which says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anybody who draws near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who trust in him, that he rewards those who draw near to him. That's what the gospel is about. It's about believing that God is real and that believing that, that God wants to pour out his blessings upon me even though I'm unworthy. And it's all because of what Jesus has done. That's more than anything else is what makes him a, a master who is worthy of my love and my devotion, of doing everything for him knowing that because of his sacrifice for me, my place in God's family isn't in jeopardy. No matter how much I might fail, no matter how much I might not perfectly love the people around me, serve as I should. It's all about the fact that I can count on being rewarded. I can count on my inheritance. It's not in jeopardy. My place in God's family, my place on the team is not in jeopardy here. When I was 11, I, I tried out for the traveling baseball team, about the same age as uh, when I played that other game, I tried out for the traveling baseball team. Back in those days, there was just basically one traveling team for each town and everything. And, and I was a pretty good baseball player, and I went to the tryouts, and I, I just remember being aware of everything that I did, you know, hitting, fielding, catching, running the bases, I was always aware the coach was standing there with his clipboard watching, watching. Everything I did, I was aware of his eyes watching me. And... Uh, Sadly, the last day of tryouts came and, and were over, and then I got a call that night, and it was the coach, and he was like, you know, Jeff, it was really close. It was really close, really like you as a player and everything, but sorry, buddy, you just, you just didn't make the team this year. And, and I was, you know, I was crushed, and it was, it was just so sad and discouraging. And the next year rolled around, and uh, my dad offered to help coach the team. And so my dad helped coach, and, and, and the tryouts came around, and, and so my dad was one of the guys now with the clipboard. And of course, you know what that means. Because my dad was coaching the team, we all know Jeff's going to make the team, no matter how much he messes up in the tryouts. But, but that didn't, knowing my dad had, was standing there with the clipboard didn't make me kind of slack off at all. It, it made me try, I think, harder. I wanted to make my dad proud. I wanted to, to, to run the bases as hard as I could because I, I wanted to do it for the joy of my dad and for my own joy. It was all mixed together because my place on the team wasn't in doubt. And, and in a similar way, Jesus says to the slaves, he says to us, your place on the team is not in 
doubt because of what I have done for you. I am your master who has lived and who has died for you. And so serve me in all that you do, in the tiny stuff, in the big things, everything that you do. do make this mental shift where it's an opportunity to do it for me, to serve me, to love me. And to experience the beauty of that relationship. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us. Um, it's so easy to just kind of go about doing our lives, doing the things that we do in our lives, and not even thinking about who we're doing it for. Um, but Father, we pray that you would point out to us that even the, the tiniest little things, that, that are op- they're opportunities to serve you. They're opportunities to connect with you. They're opportunities to, to be faithful to you and to serve you joyfully, knowing that you delight in us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. As we um, continue to worship, we're going to respond to God's word by praying the the confession of sin that's in your order of worship. It's also going to be up on the screen. So please pray with me. Lord Jesus, I sin. Grant that I may never cease grieving because of it. Never be content with myself. Never think that I can reach a point of perfection. Kill my envy, command my tongue, trample down my self-centeredness. Give me grace to be holy, gentle, and pure, to live for you and not for myself, to copy your words and acts and spirit, to be transformed into your likeness, to be consecrated wholly to you, to live entirely to your glory. Deliver me from attachments to the wrong things, from false associations, from the predominance of evil passions, from the sweetness of sin as well as from its bitterness. With deep contrition and honest heart searching, I come to you, cast myself on you, trust in you, cry out to you, that I might be completely forgiven by you. Amen. Father, we now take a moment to silently confess our sins privately to you. Father, we thank you that through Christ, because of Christ, we know that we are in your hands, that no one will take us out of your hands, no one will separate us from your love, that we can count on the fact that uh, you delight in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Jude 24 to 25 says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.